Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come among us now and open our hearts to your word, that you would plant deep within us the truth that you have for us this morning, and that we would know Jesus more this day. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've made it to the final chapter of 1 John. Over these past two months or so, we've heard about how to walk in the light, getting clarity on the gospel and who Jesus is. In this last chapter, which we'll look at this week and next, John sums up his argument. This week, we'll look at the first half of the chapter when we hear about the content of faith and why we can trust it. We could sum it up this way. John shows us that faith comes first. Faith has content and faith produces. As always, you can follow along in your study booklet or on the insert we put in your bulletin. Let's dive in to 1 John 5 together. Verses 1 through 5 are a summary of much of what John has been advocating throughout his epistle. And it begins and ends with faith. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? His argument starts with faith, stating that it is belief in Christ that causes one to be born of God. And it ends with faith, showing that it is faith in Christ that overcomes the world. Now, we might wonder why John is making this point again. After all, he has said much the same thing throughout the epistle. It's because faith in Christ is the whole ballgame. Without faith, we really don't have much to talk about at all. And John knows that we often get that piece wrong. There's two ways we tend to do it. The first is to look at verses 1b through 4, which is the stuff that faith produces, and flip the equation around. It's acting like if we love enough or if we're obedient enough, then we will be born of God. That temptation has been around for centuries. It's commonly known as works righteousness, believing that it's what we do that justifies us before God. Often it's the temptation of religious people who, who claim to be faithful followers of Jesus. For example, this, this conversation might sound familiar. I'll ask someone, So tell me about your relationship with Jesus. How did you come to know Jesus? And the response goes something like this. Oh, you know, I've I've been going to church my whole life. My parents went here and their parents helped founded this place. Yep, never miss a week at church. And you know what? I just try and be good because doing good things is what life's really all about. It's just about doing your best, trying to be the best person you can be. Well, the question was about Jesus, and he never once factored into the answer. This happens all the time. You ask someone what they believe about Jesus, and their response is their spiritual resume or their church attendance record. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are good. 
It's good to do good things for people, to be nice to people. We want to encourage that. And yes, I want you to keep coming to church. That's important. But it is not those things that make us children of God. It's not those things that make us born of God. Faith comes first. That is the stuff that faith produces. But it's faith in Christ that's the difference maker. The second way we tend to get this wrong tends to happen more often with, with non-believers. Conversation would be something like this. So, so do you believe in God? Well, you know, I'm not really a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. I have faith that there is a God. It's a generic faith. It's faith in spirituality, however we want to define that. But what John shows us is that faith comes first, and that faith isn't generic. It has content. To be born of God means having faith in someone. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be born of God. You must believe that Jesus came to live the perfect life and to die the death that paid the penalty for our sins and rose bodily from the grave. That is the content of the Christian faith. That is the content of faith that saves. Not generic faith or faith in some kind of undefinable, make it whatever you want, choose your own adventure, spirituality. Faith comes first, not what we do. And for faith to be that which makes us a child of God, it must be faith in the unique saving work of Jesus Christ. It says, Paul reminds us in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what faith is. That's what faith is all about. Now, at this point, some are likely thinking, well, you know, faith isn't easy. Here goes a preacher again, just telling me to believe more as if I can just do that. That's not an easy thing for me. I question all the time. I completely understand that. You're just starting to get to know me, but you may have already noticed I tend to be a little on the skeptical side of things. It is not my default position to believe everything I hear. I get that faith can be a challenge sometimes, but the beautiful thing about Jesus is that the truth of him being the Christ has been faithfully attested to. It is trustworthy. We can believe because faith in Christ is grounded in real events, in real places, and the record of those events has been faithfully passed down to us. We can believe in the content of our faith as Christians because testimony has been given to the validity of the faith. Look at verses 6 through 8. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth for there are 3 that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and these 3 agree now if you're listening to that and thinking what on earth is he talking about you are not alone <laughs> it's a fairly confusing piece of scripture so let's break it down when John talks about water and the blood, he's talking about the baptism and crucifixion of Jesus. 
His baptism was the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, and the crucifixion was the finished work of his earthly ministry. It's as if John is saying to us, start to finish, look at the life of Jesus. All that he did, all the miracles, all the things he said, everything about him testified to the truth that he is the unique son of God. Perhaps a contemporary way of saying that would be, if you want to know if Christianity is true, look to Jesus himself. Let his life and witness bear testimony to him. Jesus is the difference maker. Faith in Jesus is what matters, so look to him. Now to top all that off, what happened at these two events? Well, Matthew 3, we read of the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now the crucifixion, Matthew 27. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. The life of Jesus and the testimony of those who saw these events show him to be the Christ, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world. John also reminds us, if the events of Jesus' life aren't enough, The Holy Spirit testifies to us as well. The water and the blood and the Spirit, these three agree. Now let me ask you, if you had three different witnesses come to you about an event and they tell you the same thing, would you believe it? Even skeptical me would start to be swayed by that. Three separate witnesses, all bearing testimony to the same thing. And yet here are these three testimonies, and people don't believe. Well, we need to remember the context of the epistle to figure out why this sort of thing happens. False teachers were walking around claiming that Jesus wasn't really the Christ. And people are being swayed by it. That's why verse 9 starts with, if we receive the testimony of men. The church was hearing the false teaching and considering it over the testimony of Jesus' life and the eternal witness, internal witness of the Holy Spirit. That shouldn't be surprising to us. The same thing has happened ever since Jesus came, and it continues to this very day. There are people all over the place who will tell you that Jesus is not the Christ. He was just some moral teacher, or that he didn't actually rise from the dead. And the worst part about it is a lot of the people who say that stand in pulpits on Sunday mornings. That's a bold position to take. Because John tells us to stand up and say that Jesus is not who Christians claim him to be is to call God a liar. Whoever does not believe God has made him, meaning God, a liar because he does not believe in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. To say that Jesus is not the Christ is to tell God that you know better than him. That's a bold position. I've taken a lot of bold positions in my life. I don't got the guts to take that one. Telling God he's wrong, that I know better than him. 
God has given testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did it at his baptism. He did it at his crucifixion. He did it when the angel appeared to Mary to let her know that this child would be coming. And he continues to do it through the presence of his Holy Spirit. If you believe in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we have an inward testimony that shows us the truth of Jesus. John started verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men. But then he said, the testimony of God is greater. Whoever believes in the Son of God has testimony in himself. We who believe in Jesus have truth living in us by the Holy Spirit. The result of that is when someone stands up and starts teaching that Jesus is anything less that scripture has revealed him to be, we should be able to tell the difference. Faith comes first. Faith is not empty, whatever we want to make it, but faith is in Jesus, the son of God. And that faith has been borne witness to. Testimony has been given through the life of Jesus and by God himself. And so we can trust it. And the result of all of that, the result of faith is that it produces. Jump back to the start of our passage. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Now again, this is a reiteration of much of what John has been teaching this whole time. Namely, that being born of God, having faith in Christ, produces love and obedience. We love God and those who have been reborn of God, our brothers and sisters in the faith. And because we believe in Jesus, because we love God, we want to live as he desires. That's what John's saying here. We've spoken at length about these things, so we're not going to focus on them today. But a question that we want to have in mind as we wrap up this series is whether we love our brothers and sisters in the faith and whether we desire to live as God would ask us to, to follow God's commandments. Because if we don't, John tells us, we don't really know the Father. We don't really believe in Jesus. We believe at best in some personally preferred construction of Jesus, not the Jesus of Scripture and the one the Holy Spirit gives testimony to. That's a crucial thing to think and pray about. So please don't walk away this morning or this afternoon thinking that that's not important just because it's not going to be our focus for the next few minutes. It's crucial. Faith produces love and obedience. It's the obedience part that tends to be the hang-up for people, right? We hear things like, oh, you Christians, you just want to keep all the rules, make sure I don't do anything I'd actually enjoy. You just want to live your pious lives and show everyone, oh, how good you are. I get that from my friends all the time. It's actually become something of a joke within my circle of friends. They say things like, Christianity is a straitjacket. It's meant to control us keep us from really living our lives. But what does John have to say about that? Yes, Christians do want to live according to God's will. But look at verse 3 again. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. That's the first part, all right? We've got that. But then John continues. And his commandments are not burdensome. 
That's what we want to look at right now. Because it flies in the face of what many people believe about the commandments of God. To be sure, God creates a structure by which we are to live. He lays out a plan for how we, to live, how we are to live that's not meant to be a burden, but allow us to live the life he knows is best for us. Right? Think about it this way. We've got a lot of parents and grandparents in the room today. How many of us have spent time at youth sports? Right? You ever been to a youth soccer game? The little ones, right? Really, really little ones. What's it like? It's a cluster of kids, just a group of kids chasing a ball around, right? And they're running all together, and they're trying to kick the ball, and they're all kicking like mad, completely missing the ball, and it's kind of amazing no one's breaking a shin. And then the ball goes shooting out to a different part of the field, and the whole clump goes chasing after it, right? That's how the whole game goes. Well, as they get older, referees are at it. Lines are put on the field that show where the ball can and can't go. Nets are added so they know how to actually score a goal. These things are not added to take away the enjoyment of the game, but rather to give it structure so that it can be more fully enjoyed. You can actually have a game rather than just a clump of kids running around in a pile of dirt with no clue how the game's actually supposed to be played. So it is with God's commandments. He gives them so that we can enjoy life more fully. To say, if you live as I want you to, life will go better for you. You'll actually know how to play the game. So many people think that God's commandments are a weight. They're given to keep us under control, but i got to say, I look back at my life and I've seen the exact opposite happen. How many times through the years have people lived apart from God's commandments and then you lay in bed at night and you're thinking, why did I do that? Why did I say that to that person? Why didn't I help that person? Why did I gossip about all these people I call friends? Why did I rip a coworker behind their back? Why did I do those things? All the things we've done flood our mind and we feel guilt. I had countless nights like that, mainly through my early 20s. You know what? When I submitted to Christ, when I sought by the power of the Holy Spirit to live by God's commandments, because frankly that's the only way I was ever going to want to live by God's commandments, the only way any of us want to live by them, those nights of guilt didn't increase God's commandments didn't increase my guilt. They decreased. Because in living with Christ, I didn't have guilt anymore, but the joy of forgiveness. And over time, I didn't want to do those things that were outside of God's commands. He shaped me by the Holy Spirit so that I wanted to live a different sort of life. I wanted to live the way he wanted me to. And living God's way gave freedom and joy. Quite the opposite of a burden. Old friend of mine's fond of saying, structure creates freedom. That's what God's commandments do. They give us the structure to have genuine freedom and joy in life. 
As John Stott said, God's commandments are the will of an all-wise, all-loving Father who seeks our highest welfare. One more thing, and then I'll be quiet for a little while. Faith in Christ produces obedience to God that gives joy in life, and faith in Christ also produces victory. Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Faith in Jesus produces victory. Some of us might think that can't possibly be the case. After all, I know many Christians who don't seem to be living a a victorious sort of life, right? Christians have financial problems. They have health problems. There's homeless Christians, starving Christians. So how can John possibly say that faith produces victory? It's because of what the victory actually is. Don't get me wrong. God cares very much about our day-to-day needs, but the victory that John has in mind is far greater than that. It's a victory that overcomes the world because it is a victory that the world can never give us. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The victory of Jesus is everlasting life. It's being reconciled to the Father through the atoning death of his Son so that we might have life with him. The reason we find that difficult to understand is because when we think about victory, we think about all the things I listed before, the struggles of Christians. And so we can't possibly have victory, right? Victory is about having comfort and our desires met. It's promotions at work and a bigger paycheck. It's the family of my dreams with a whole whack of kids and all of them are perfect angels who never talk back and eat their vegetables and never have any problems at all. And it's having the perfect marriage that is the envy of all my friends. That's the victorious life. That's not victory with Jesus. Jesus cares about our families and our finances, but ultimate victory is not about personal comforts, but eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the victory Jesus, our conquering Savior, defeating sin, defeating death, and giving to all who believe in him victory over death itself. Faith is victory because in Christ we are given life. We get it here in the present as we have the freedom to live according to God's will and we have it in the future as we are given victory over death itself. What do you believe in? What do you trust in? What victory do you long for? We've been walking through verse John this summer to get clarity on the gospel. And so as we wind close, just one week left, John helps us to keep first things first. In Christ alone, life is found, and it is found through faith in him. 
Do you have the eternal life that Christ promises? Do you believe in him as the Son of God, trusting in him and not your own deeds to make you right with the Father? Do you have joy in life as you walk the path of obedience to God, experiencing the freedom his structure provides us? Or are we still focused on the things of this world, wrapped up in material comfort rather than eternal victory? We need clarity on the gospel, friends. Jesus gives life and gives us a heart to live life according to his commandments for our betterment as we look toward the victory of eternal life. By grace are people saved through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so there is only one question that ultimately matters. Who is it that you have faith in? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, that through faith in him we can have life and we can have life everlasting. We pray, Lord, that you would plant that truth so deep within us that we would never be shaken, but that we would remember the victory that we have in him and that we would be willing to share that victory with any and all that we come in contact with, that more people would know the name of Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.